I know that many of you uh, were at Pastor Matt's house recently for a party. I think we have a picture. None of it's incriminating, so don't, don't worry. Uh, here's some of our group leaders uh, just learning about uh, how to become better leaders and also celebrating what God's been up to. Uh, and I believe we had over 10 new groups launched even this fall. So thank you guys so much for your leadership and for serving in this way. It is a huge deal. I know it's, uh, I know it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time, but thank you so much for serving our congregation in this way. Uh, Now, if maybe for some of us we're not currently in a group, uh, I want to tell you that 2020 is going to be a great opportunity for you. We are, January 5th, we're kicking off a sermon series called Deeply Rooted. It's going to be kicking off uh, just two weeks from now. So Deeply Rooted is going to take a look at how it is that we can connect with God, connect with each other, and connect with our purpose. And here's what we're going to do. So we're going to do, uh, on Sundays, we're going to do the sermon series, Deeply Rooted, and then at the end of January, we're going to launch a 10-week study in groups and classes called Rooted. And this is so important for our church family. I, 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 wanna, I can't recommend this strongly enough. What is going to happen is we're going to get around tables, we're going to get uh, into smaller settings to process what it means to follow Jesus in like the real world. And here is another reason why it's so important for us as a church family uh, in 2020. It's an election year. And the tension that we're all feeling right now speaks to the fact that as a people who follow after Jesus, we've got to be getting around tables with people who are not like us to process in real time, in real life, what it means to follow Jesus in this uh, particular moment that we live in. And so uh, if you're not part of a group or a class, I highly recommend that you make an intentional decision in 2020 to join up with a group or a class, go through the Rooted study with us. We're going to be kicking that study off uh, in the groups the end of January. So we'll do the sermon series in the first part of January, kick that off at the end of January. Some of, uh, we've got a lot of new groups starting. This is a great time to start into a group if you haven't been a part of one uh, yet. I would love to have you join us for that. Now, Christmas is just days away, and uh, if you are still looking to, uh, for my Christmas list, make sure you hit me up after. I want to get that in your hands before you go shopping later today. Um, but uh, I, w- I did want to say, we have services on Christmas Eve at 2, 3.30, and 5 o'clock. We're going to be meeting here in this room Please join us, 2, 3, 30, 5 o'clock. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite people you don't like. Just tell them to go to a different service. Doesn't matter to us. We'll host anybody. We would love to have you join us. We're going to be doing a candle lighting uh, part. It's one of my favorite uh, moments of the year. And I would invite you to join us for Christmas Eve. Now, for those of you that are planners, I want you thinking ahead to next Sunday. Because next Sunday, we're going to change up our scheduling a little bit. Instead of doing our normal 9.30 and 11 o'clock services next Sunday morning, we're going to open this room from 8 to 1 for our day of prayer. We've done this the last few years, the last Sunday of the year. We'll have prayer stations around this room. You can stay for as little and as, or as long as you like. Uh, what, the reason that we do this is to conclude the year in prayer to give ourselves a a time to just be quiet, to recenter, to refocus on who Jesus is and what he's calling us to do. And so instead of doing a service, we do this open time of prayer. I'd encourage you to join us. Uh, If you've got family, bring them. Like I said, you can stay as little or as long as you like. Anywhere from 15 minutes, some people will stay the whole eight to one. Uh, This room will be uh, available to us. We'll have stations. Our hosts, some of our hosts will be here to welcome you in. Join us next Sunday, eight to one. And then that night... 
uh, at 7 o'clock. So next Sunday night, 7 o'clock, the Watoto Children's Choir is going to be here all the way from Kampala, Uganda, to lead us in a worship service. So we are going to gather next Sunday for worship, and we'll be led uh, by the Watoto Children's Choir. It's going to be a blast. I will say, if you're coming as a group, and by group I mean anything more than just one person, and you want to sit together, make sure you get here early. We're going to pack the house on the 29th. This also goes for Christmas Eve as well. If you want to sit together, come early. Um, we do take bribes. We call them donations for preferred seating. Um, make sure, again, after the service, hit me up for that. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. Um, but for 10 bucks, I'll let you sit on the stage the whole service. <laughs> We are finishing up today our Christmas Ornaments series. We've been looking at various themes that we see running throughout the Christmas story. We've talked about thankfulness. We've talked about compassion. We've talked about joy. And today we're going to talk about love. Uh, But we're going to talk about it in a unique way. We're going to look at two characters that we almost never hear about in our Christmas uh, stories and Christmas retellings. We're going to look at two characters, one named Simeon and one named Anna. And one of the things that uh, is so fascinating about Simeon and Anna is they're, they're two uh, uh, people, they're, they're, they're in the Christmas story, they're early in the Christmas story, actually, but we oftentimes miss it. And so we're going to explore through their life and through, uh, not through their life, but through this moment in their life, uh, a little bit about what it means for God's love to be revealed to us. But in order to understand Simeon and Anna's story, we have to understand the story of the cosmos. The whole story of the cosmos goes like this, and I'm going to do this in five minutes, I think. The whole story of the cosmos in five minutes. Your level of doubt should be high right now. In the beginning, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God designed humanity. He built humanity, created humanity in his image and likeness. So it says in Genesis anyways. And God created people to dwell in harmony, to flourish, and to fill the earth in unity and love with him. So we the creation, he the creator, we're meant for harmony, we're meant for flourishing, we're meant for loving relationships with each other and with him. If you were at that time to ask the question, like many of my children do, ask the question, where does God live? You guys ever got that question before? Of course, the answer is heaven. And the follow-up question is what? Where is heaven? Is it behind the stage? Is it underneath? What, is it up there? Where's heaven? I can tell you with certainty it's not in Buckeye. I've been there. It's definitely not there. <laughs> Might be somewhere in North Phoenix. I'm not totally sure. So where is heaven is an interesting question, right? We want to put spatial parameters around where God dwells. But if you were kicking around at creation and you were to see people and you were to see God, what you would see is that heaven and earth, they were not separate domains, but they were the same space because heaven is simply where God dwells. God created us to dwell with him. So where was heaven? Where was earth? These two different domains, they were unified. They were in unity with one another. The domains of God and the domains of people overlapped. That's what we're built for, all right? However, Genesis 3, uh, you turn the page to Genesis 3, and one of the things that you see is that people uh, run into a little problem. In fact, uh, there's this talking serpent that says to them, at least this is how the author of Genesis puts it, that says to the people, 
Are you sure God has your best interests at heart? Are you sure God's gonna show up? Are you sure God's gonna come through on his promises? Are you sure God loves you? Are you sure, did God really say? And they begin to sow seeds of doubt into humanity. And humanity basically says, typified by Adam and Eve, says, you know what, you're right. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe God doesn't have our best interest at heart. Maybe God's holding on to us. So we're gonna take for ourselves. And in this act of taking for themselves that which was uh, forbidden to them, they decided to define for themselves what is good and evil. They turned their backs on God. They, said, they gave God the finger and said, we're gonna be our own gods. We're gonna go our own way. And just as God had promised, that way leads to death. In fact, as the story continues, you see in the created order that's made for heaven and earth to be unified, for God's domain and our domain to be brought together as one, when we turn our backs on God and go our own way, those domains become split and ripped apart. You with me? And so now we're asking the question, okay, well, where is God? Where does God live? Now heaven and earth seem to be separate. Heaven doesn't seem to be breaking through into our domain anymore. And you see death begin to rear its ugly head. And let me just press pause for a minute. Just, regardless of what you think about who Jesus is, I know many of us are here, we're still trying to figure out what we think about Jesus, we're trying to figure out what we believe, I'm so glad you're here. Regardless of what you believe about Jesus, I believe that every single one of us has tasted the longing for death to die. What I mean by that is this. You ever been to a funeral? Even the best funerals, there is still this underlying sense that things are not right. That it shouldn't, it shouldn't be this way. Why does death seem to keep winning? Take a step back out of the funeral. Look at humanity writ large. Look at the nature of things. Do we not see that there is death dealing all over the place? Not only physical death to bodies, but death of relationships. Death of the self. Death seems to be winning. In fact, we even say there's nothing more natural than death and taxes. And both of them feel pretty much the same. And yet within us, there is this longing for death to die. And the author of Genesis is riffing off of this longing when the author says in Genesis 3, uh, he, he talks about this, this moment, this line that comes from God's mouth, so to speak, where it says that the head, that, that out of the woman, one of the women, woman's offspring, singular, one of the woman's offspring, will crush the head of the serpent. So the serpent here is typifying evil, death, destruction, chaos, corruption, etc. And there's this whisper of a hope that maybe God will one day take these two domains that seem to have been torn apart, God's domain and our domain, that God might one day crush the head of the serpent and reunite, going back to what you see in what some might call the garden, where God walked with us in the cool of the day. Unity, flourishing, love. No death, no corruption, no destruction, no despair. Let me ask you, 
At the end of the day, what do you long for? Do you not long for these things too? Do you not long for death to die? Do you not long for the broken relationships to be reconciled? Do you not, in your very guts, do you not long for everything that's broken to be made right? You see, the biblical authors are riffing off of this thing that is universal because we are made for union with one another and union with God. And so there's this whisper, this whisper of a promise that one day the serpent's head would be crushed. But who's going to do it? How is it going to happen? Well, there's kind of this offspring of the woman kind of line, but it's very enigmatic, I must say. Many years later, at least the way that the Bible tells it, there's this person named Abraham. God appears to Abraham, and by the way, Abraham's totally shocked. God, like, talks to him, and he's like, ew, weird. So if God ever speaks to you and you think it's weird, you're in good company. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. And he's like, cool. And so through Abraham and his line, you see a covenant given, a promise given. You see a people grow. It's what the scriptures would refer to uh, as Israel. The, the Jewish people come from Abraham's line. And in among the Jewish people, they had this whisper circulating that they found in Genesis 3 that said, you know, one day, the serpent's head's gonna be crushed. We don't quite know how it's gonna work, but we think death is gonna die. We think that, that heaven and earth will be reunited. We think heaven's gonna break in. How's it gonna happen, they might have said to each other. And here's the, here's the jam. There's a lot of options to, uh, there's a lot of possible answers to how is it going to happen, right? And let me put it to you another way. How do you usher in the kingdom of God? How do you usher in a kingdom of peace? Well, a quick survey of human history tells you that there's a few options. One of the options is to run away from all the nasty people and start your own little group. The problem with that is, amongst your own group are some more nasty people. You just haven't discovered them yet, so then you have to split again and then you're just all alone. Here's another way. How do you usher in a kingdom of peace? How do you usher in a kingdom of unity? How do you do that? Well, some, in fact, many nations, would basically say the only way to do that is kill all the bad guys. Once you kill all the bad guys, then you'll have a nation of peace. But of course, if the way to usher in the kingdom of God is by killing all the bad people, you start killing people, and then you start looking, and like your list gets longer, and longer and longer of the bad people, the problem people. You start saying things like, well, let's kill all the murderers. Okay. And let's kill all the thieves. And everyone who's ever stolen a Snickers is like, you know what, let's pump the brakes. <laughs> How about everyone who's ever deceived? How about everyone who's ever caused the la a lack of flourishing or who has caused disunity, maybe in their relationships? Or in society. And then you begin to realize, wait a minute, that we can't crush the head of the serpent by just killing all the people who seem to be putting on display the serpent-like characteristics. No, we need the serpent inside of us crushed. We need the death that's inside of us crushed. Otherwise, we're all going to be crushed. And so there's this whisper going around these people called the Jews. 
And they're riffing on it. You can see it in what we sometimes call the Older Testament or the Jewish scriptures or Hebrew scriptures. You'll see them. They're constantly riffing on this Eden ideal that heavens, God's space and our space are one day going to get reunited. One day heaven's going to break through. But they're wondering out loud oftentimes, how is it that God's going to do this? And then God oftentimes will speak these little hints, these little whispers through a remnant of the people saying, well, maybe it'll come through us. Maybe it'll come through our line." And from Abraham, you get a people. From that people, you get a kingdom. At the height of their power, you have this, this person named King David. But then one of the things you realize is, here's this people, here's this kingdom. Maybe they're going to usher in the kingdom of God. But you get David, and then you get a son Solomon, and then every one of the great kings of Israel, one of the things, one of the fundamental truths of humanity becomes so clear. There ain't no perfect people. And in all of these kings, you see some really good stuff, and then you see epic devastation. And then the kingdom falls. And you can see this in any of your Western civilization classes, uh, if you, uh, or textbooks. If you watch the nation of Israel, you'll see that after being a mighty kingdom, maybe through whom? God will crush the head of the serpent. You see that they're taken over by the Babylonian Empire. Huge letdown. And then the Persians take them over, and then the Greeks take them over, and then the Romans take them over. And it's during that Roman occupation of Jerusalem that you have Christmas. We're all setting up our nativity scenes, but I want you to see that it would be a Roman flag planted just down the street from your nativity scene. They weren't self-governing. The kingdom of David was a mess in shambles. And you've got a remnant of people saying, how are we going to usher in the kingdom of God? And some of those people picked up swords and said, you know what we need to do? Kill the Romans. And other people said, you know what we need to do is we need to run away to the desert and stay away from everybody. Start our own community. But then there were some people who decided to stay. And they said, you know what? We're going to stay and we're going to wait for God to fulfill his promises. Even though God's not operating on my timeline, I still believe that God is good and I'm going to trust in his promises. And one of those people, his name was Simeon. And another one of those people, her name was Anna. Underneath the Roman flag, during that Roman occupation, just a few days before what we're about to read, hark, the herald, the angels sing, a group of angels appeared to some shepherds. Tell me if you've heard this one before. A group of angels appeared to some shepherds out in a field and said, hey, guess what? Good news. The promised one is here. Remember all those whispers about the one day the kid from the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent? Remember all those whispers we've been hearing? And then you got these angels showing up to shepherds. Hey, everybody, guess what? Good news. Somebody's coming. Someone is here. In fact, Jesus, he would say, like, absolutely crazy things. He would say things like, as he would walk into, like, a building or something, he would be like, guess what? The kingdom of God is here. Because we've been whispering this whole time, how are we going to see the kingdom of God ushered in? Is it through segregation? Is it through military might? How are we going to do that? And Jesus would show up, a person, and say, the kingdom of God is among you. But there on that first Christmas, you've got Mary and Joseph and Jesus. 
And just a few days after Jesus is born, you pick up this scene at the temple. For Mary and Joseph were faithful, and it was according to their custom, they took baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And who did they meet but two really old people? They met Simeon, and they met Anna. Now, I want to press pause just for a moment, and I want you to lean into this. Many of you know what this is like. Many of us can imagine. If you're a teen mom, walking around with your eight-day-old baby, away from your home, by the way, you've just been traveling about, and everybody knows that you weren't married to the dad, what everyone thinks is the dad of the baby, namely Joseph. Would your uh, level of tension as you were to travel around to public spaces with the baby, would your level of tension and anxiety be high or low? Talk to me. Your level of anxiety and tension would be extremely high. You're You're probably 15 years old walking around with this baby. And there's Joseph. And same thing, the room mural's going. How's your tension and anxiety level? High. And what do you need? Oh, this is so good. We, we miss this because we oftentimes will skip over this story. What do you need? I'll tell you at least what my, this is my conjecture. I think one of the things that they needed is for two really old saints to come and minister to them at church. Who shows up? But Simeon and Anna. And Anna, we think, is either 84 or 100 years old. And if you want me to use things like seasoned saints or on in years, 100 is old. (laughs) We don't know how old Simeon is, but we know that he's old enough to be like, I've just got a, a little bit longer. I need to see Jesus before I die. In fact, he says, he actually will say, uh, God told me that I would see the salvation, the promised uh, serpent head crusher, that I would see that come to fruition before I die. So we know that they're both on in years. And this is what uh, Simeon says. We'll put it up on the screen too, I think. Now Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God and said, TV time out, just catch the image. Mary and Joseph now are at temple. They've brought Jesus with them as a baby. And here now Simeon, who's not a priest, by the way, he's just an old faithful dude who's been looking for the promised one to come. And led by, you'll see it actually if you read just a little bit earlier in the text, it says God basically told him, I think you should go to temple today. It says he was led on by the Holy Spirit. So he, he went. He's just a faithful dude. And he showed up, and I think he probably said some words to Mary and Joseph. I don't think he just took the baby. That'd be weird. We don't do that here at Desert Springs, by the way. But they roll up to temple, and look at what he says. He takes the baby in his arms. Now, just press pause. I don't think we're gasping because we don't have a sense of longing like Simeon had. For thousands of years, his people have been whispering, one day the serpent's head will be crushed. All those funerals you've been to will be undone. All those broken relationships will be reconciled. That deep, that deep, deep guttural longing. And, and Simeon heard God say, you're going to see the answer to this riddle before you die. And then Simeon puts eyes on a baby and says this. 
Now, Master, so I think he's speaking to God the Father. Now, Master, you can dismiss your, what's his posture? Servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen, remember, he's holding the baby. My eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. And he actually goes on. I'd encourage you to read it. What does Simeon say? He holds the baby and he says, all of that, all of that longing we've been wondering and waiting for, here in a baby, he says, here my eyes have seen your salvation. In fact, if you read through what Simeon says, it, it seems to me that he gets what's going on more clearly than anybody else thus far in the story. And then Anna, you can read it uh, just immediately after this text. Anna, we don't have a quote from her, but it just says she begins to proclaim the goodness of God. That her eyes also, she sees that Jesus is the promised one. She begins to proclaim. And so while Simeon sees Jesus and says, all right, Lord, you can take me now. Anna says, get me back in the fight. <laughs> I got to tell some people about this. She's a, pro- she's a prophet, it says, or a prophetess. So she just starts prophesying about Jesus. Both had their own role. Both Simeon and Anna had their separate roles, and they fulfill them, and Jesus is at the center of it. What, the, what might this have felt like for Mary and Joseph? How might they have experienced the love of God through this moment? I want to pump the brakes here for a second and say some words. This isn't a rant. You know, when I say that, it's probably about to be a rant, yeah. That's like when you say no offense, you know? So we live, the cultural moment that uh, the first Christmas happened in, Anna and Simeon would have been revered amongst their peers because if you make it to 100 years old, you're just boss status. Contrary to that opinion, and for whatever reason, we live in a cultural moment that reveres and elevates the uh, youth and to some degree despises or, at best, ignores and grows apathetic towards the aged. And I, I, okay, so, like, hashtag okay boomer is not a Jesus idea. To denigrate an entire generation and simply slough it off because you don't like their ideas or opinions is not a Jesus idea. What Jesus says is, get around a table with the people that you disagree with, have fellowship, and talk it out. And by the way, complaining about millennials as if everyone in that entire generation is exactly the same. I mean, what was that guy, Jesus? He said things like, do unto others. When we categorize with derision, when we categorize entire demographics with derogatory language, with dismissive language, it's dehumanizing. Be careful what we say. And all the Gen Xers are like, you forgot about me. Yeah, everyone has. Get, get used to it. I mean, it's, it's just, you can get your Cheryl Crow CD from the office later. It will be great. So I'm going to say something. And if I stumble through this, I, just, I would ask for your grace. Just as Mary and Joseph needed Anna and Simeon, so too is a church family. For those of you that are chronologically in Anna and Simeon's category, old,
We, we need you. There have been many times where members of this church family have been a blessing to me. One of the scariest times for me was when I uh, stepped into the role of lead pastor. I think I was 34, and this is like uh, four years ago. Um, I, I was scared out of my mind. I, and there are very crystal clear memories I have of very specific moments where people who were old enough to be my grandparents or great-grandparents would see what, I was, what was on my face, and they, like, backstage or in the lobby, they would grab me, they would pull me aside, and they would just start praying for me. Or they would start speaking words of encouragement to me. That means so much to me. And so for those of us that are in the chronological minority, I know that you pay a higher price to be here. I know that, I, 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 just as I'm listening to you, I know that, Many things have changed and continue to change, and I know that that's frustrating. I know it's scary. I know oftentimes it can be offensive. I know that I'm the perpetrator of much of that. But I want you to know that you are so valued, and you are so loved, and we need you so much. People say, is Desert Springs a young church? And I, I'm just like, well, the church is 2,000 years old, so I guess that's probably not young. Well, what they mean is, you know, is it full of young people? Well, yeah, it's full of old people too, and it's full of all the other categories too because we're a diverse congregation of a bunch of misfits being bound together by Jesus, having nothing in common except for the gospel. Right? Your political views, half of you, they drive me absolutely crazy. Your musical taste, let's not even call them taste. Right? But that's, but how beautiful is that, that Jesus is just putting us in this space all together to learn from one another, to disciple one another, and to grow more and more into the image of Jesus. Man, we need you here. And I'm so thankful for you, and you're so valued. I actually have a list called Old People That Blessed Caleb. I'm going to read through. (laughs) I'm not going to call you out. I do have a list, but uh, that's not what it's titled. I'm going to talk to everyone who would put themselves in the fellow young person category, which every time I hang out with our, uh, the youth group here, I say, hello, fellow young people, and they look at me like they're looking at me now, like, who are you kidding? Uh, your day's coming, and how we treat those that have come before us is teaching those that come after us how we would like to be treated. So be like Jesus in all things including how we treat those who are different than us. Simeon gets it. Simeon is holding Jesus, and they've been longing for the head of the serpent to be crushed. And Simeon looks down at Jesus and said, this is the salvation. Notice what he says. I want you to see in the text. Notice he doesn't say, the salvation for people like me. Did you catch it? He doesn't say, salvation for people in my demographic. What does he say? Salvation, okay? You have prepared it in the presence of whom? All people, including the people you hate? Yes. A light for revelation, a revelation of God's serpent-crushing power, a light of revelation to whom? Just your people group? No. Whom? All nations. This is why we strive to every week read scripture in at least more than one language to just remind ourselves, right, experientially, that the proclamation of the gospel hope isn't just to people who are like me, it's to whom? All people. Simeon and Anna get it. 
There are many of us who wish that God would speak to us. We hear statements like, Jesus loves you so much, and we wonder if that's true. And if you're there this morning, I would simply say this. I think what Simeon and I think what Anna would say to you is this. Even when God seems silent, even when God seems like he's stalling, even when we, as faithful people following after God, even when, even when we're following him and we suffer, he is still good. He still speaks to us. And he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. Even when he seems silent, Anna and Simeon might say, even when it seems like he's stalling, like when are we gonna get that head-crushing business out of the way? Even when we're suffering, like these two individuals under the Roman Empire, Even in those moments, God is still good, and he has spoken his ultimate act of love to you through Jesus Christ. For Jesus' ministry only began at Christmas, but it ended at Easter. No, it didn't end. He's alive and well. It continues to this very day. His spirit dwells within every single one who turns from their chaotic, serpent-following ways and turns to him, and he promises to one day restore all that the serpent has crushed. Here's the proof. They crucified him. But then three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death, and crushed the head of the serpent. Which means that within his very being is the power to restore all that which is broken. Friends, this Christmas, I want you to know more than anything that Jesus loves you so much. Even during this series, we've been concluding our prayers like this. Jesus, we know you love us and you're powerful to bring these things about. I want you to know, church family, that Jesus loves you so much, and he is powerful to bring these things about, and he has spoken it to you most vividly in the cross and the resurrection. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We want heaven to be reunited with earth. We want your space and our space to be reunited again. We want flourishing. We want love. We want unity with you and with each other. And yet in the midst of the chaos, we we barely even see it half the time. We want heaven to break through. Jesus, we know that you have made the way. And so we turn to you. We cling to you. We entrust ourselves to you. Knowing that you love us. And you're powerful to bring this about. And that's why it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.